Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. I'm Ben, and as always, we are here with... Gosh, Noel, the nick, nickname got so long last time we were podcasting, remember? Did it? Yeah, we yeah. had we had this thing where we would need trumpets, and then we would need somebody... Oh, there was, there was going to be a minstrel with a yeah, lute and, yeah. and a carpet of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was Awesome Town, Noel Brown. I think we can dispense with the nicknames if you want. I mean, it's okay if, if, if something comes up and it's mm-hmm. you know meaningful, but... Don't feel the. You don't have to do it, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's a weird psychological thing, right? It's always fun to do something when you don't have to. And when you were a kid, did you ever want to mow the lawn? And then you eventually had to mow the lawn. Oh yeah. Was that just me? No, it was you too. No, I got you. Yeah. Okay. You, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, we're talking about happiness in a way. So there's a very interesting thing that happens with happiness. There's a. Um, there's a comparative factor to happiness, and it's very strange. If some, you could have two people, right? Two people. Uh, one is a guy making thirty grand a year, doing whatever he does. Give him a fake job. What's he do? Lawnmower. He's a lawnmower, and uh, one who mows lawns. Lawnmower man. Yeah, he's a lawnmower man, and he makes thirty thousand dollars a year. If everybody else in his, oh, and there's this other person. Uh, she makes fifty thousand dollars a year. What does she do, Matt? 
She makes podcasts. Okay, she That's makes a lot of money for making That's podcasts. A lot of money. Okay, so we've got this uh, podcaster lady making fifty a year, and this lawnmower guy making thirty. If all of the other people at the lawn mowing company make like twenty five or even twenty eight thousand dollars. This guy is the king of the mountain. He he is uh, thrilled to be alive. Things taste sweeter. How did he find find out what everybody else makes? Let's just say he did for the sake of it. Okay, okay, gotcha. But if the lady making fifty thousand dollars at the podcasting thing finds out that uh, her coworkers are making, you know, fifty five thousand, right, mm-hmm. or, or fifty three even, then she is going to be miserable and unhappy, and that's because. For a great deal of the human species, happiness is uh, so comparative. And th- there are other studies about um, there are other studies about whether money makes you happy, whether it really buys happiness. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that's true up to a certain point uh, in the U.S. at least, and then after that, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, the, the, what you're describing to me is I've always thought of as sort of like that grass is always greener kind of mentality, you know, sort of like you look at what other people have, keeping up with the, the Joneses or the Smiths or whatever mm-hmm. generic American last name you'd like to use for this sure. analogy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it, but you definitely have to like, it's, it's a good thing to keep in check, keep yourself in check over because it's very easy to like start coveting what other people have mm-hmm. when you realize at the end of the day, it, it wouldn't necessarily make you happier if you had it. That's a great, sure. that's a great point because that comparative stuff works uh, a couple of different ways. Listeners, you probably have had the same experience that almost every kid has growing up in the West where someone, one, a parent or an authority figure says, you know, well, think of the people who have less than you do. Or someone says, uh, you know, it could be worse, which my mother used to say all the time. And I just hated it. It can be worse. Doesn't make anything. It doesn't change anything. It could be worse is just like, also, you shouldn't be upset about these horrible things. And, and it's strange because when we think about our unhappiness or problems in relation to the larger field of humanity, we have, um, we have, uh, such a disconnect, you know, like we, we were talking about this briefly off air and I think you alluded to it, Noel. Uh, what's a, what, what, uh, what's the, what are the problems? Oh, yeah. We were just discussing problems that we're having in our daily lives right now. My my main one is that my kid poops on me occasionally. I go, this is gross. (laughs) I don't like that. It's horrible. But really, that's one of my biggest problems right now. I mean, that's messed up. That is messed up uh, for me to even – I don't know. It makes you feel horrible. And I think it's because maybe my mom kind of gave me some of the same things. Not um, She wasn't doing it for any bad reason. It was for a really good reason to think about other people, have empathy. Imagine yourself sure. if you don't have all the things that you have now. But I, it definitely weighs on me pretty heavily. The pooping? No, the <laughs> I think that my problems are are bad sometimes, right? And I really kind of wallow in what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. But then if I pull myself out a little bit, I just realized how ridiculously great I have it. Yeah, I mean, like, I have a six-year-old daughter, and the the perfect way to sum up these, like, first-world problems is to observe the behavior of a six-year-old. Okay. Know? So she's constantly, like, we're in a store, and she's like, I want that thing. And I'm like, why do you want it? She's like, well, because it looks cool and because I, I really, I, I feel as though I need that and deserve that. Oh. And I have to say things like, and I, I never thought I would be this, but I am like, 
let's, why don't you not worry about what you don't have and just think about what you do have and appreciate that, you know, and let's, let's go from there. Oh, man. That's amazing. Doesn't work though. No. <laughs> not, 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 not hearing it. And, um, and you know, to me, she's not a super tantrum type kid, mm-hmm. but she definitely, you know, she's got some, uh, some, some wants. Mm-hmm. So does she, shut it down. does she get the things no, or you just like, no, we're getting out of here. I'm not giving it, I'm not going to, no, no. She's no. really smart though, and she's kind of villainous. One time, she told me I had made a powerful enemy when I wouldn't give her a Fanta. Oh wow! That never happened. Okay. Never, Somebody I, um did make a powerful enemy recently, though, didn't they? Yeah, I'm still kind of sore about it. I don't want to really oh, go on. into it. All right. No, I. It, you could vent. Maybe when I'm in a better place to talk about it emotionally, but uh listeners, just you, just to. Be absolutely clear. The thing that we're alluding to, uh, doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of problems, we are today talking about something that's related to an earlier podcast we did, right? We did the future of inequality. Now we came back to do the future of poverty. And so first we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what is poverty? You know, people, we talked about how people, uh, Okay, full disclosure for everybody. Uh the slight jump you just heard was an edit because off air <laughs> off air Matt you convinced me that uh if everybody's talking about first world problem, I should talk about one too. It's a little difficult because I am furious. Noel, you might have to edit parts of this because I don't know if I can hold it in. So I think somebody stole some mail from me. I was ordering, full disclosure, I was ordering uh, some comics, uh, a graphic novel set uh, from a series that Noel turned us on to uh, called Lock and Key, and it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I was waiting days, and I'm pretty sure some, I'm pretty sure somebody stole it. And there's this strange, um, you know, the bureaucracy in that movie Brazil? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going through. Try like I have the packet packing or tracking number, and I have all my bureaucratic red tape ducks in a row. And these people, these people, uh, they just push you. You know, it's it's no help. And and they're like, well, it says they're saying, oh, well, Ben, it says it was delivered because uh, you came and picked it up. And I said, no, I was with myself the whole time. I didn't go anywhere. You know, there's not like sleepwalking. You're right. Anyway, I'm not a somnambulist or whatever. But that's a horrible feeling where you really thought you were going to get it. You were going to get to get back into the story that you've been waiting for. And now it's like, eh, yeah, fine. but it's such a stupid problem to have, you know, considering what what I had. This story already encounters so many things we already have. Right. Already have a phone where it's possible to call a post office. Right. Already have a phone where it's possible to call the people who are supposed to be shipping it. Already had uh, a little bit of extra scratch mm-hmm. to get some graphic novels of all things. An internet connection. An internet connection. Yeah. Not An Amazon mention, Prime account. Not to mention a shipping service that can send you things. Oh, yeah. Totally. You're right. So I was being very small-minded and bratish and, and stupid and spoiled. Uh, we talked about... Being a little hard on yourself, but okay. Well, we talked about real problems before when we talked about the future of inequality in a previous podcast that you should check out. You don't have to listen to it to understand what we're talking about today, but it will help sort of paint the picture. So people spend a lot of time asking how much money a person needs to live, right? You've seen those Mm -hmm. commercials. We've all seen the commercials. 
you know, for a dollar a day, right? Yeah. And uh, this leads us to ask, what is poverty? What is poverty? How is it defined? Who's defining it? I mean, in general, I guess we all basically have an understanding of of what poverty is. Um, But, you know, in general terms, it's the state of being poor, not possessing adequate resources, whether in terms of money or basic needs that need to be met, such as food, water, shelter, medical services. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to say it because this doesn't – one person's poor is another person's, you know – wealth or another person's pension, right? Yes. Uh, it's it's uh, wildly different across the world. Well, yeah, that's the one of the hardest things that we found in researching this is that it's there are institutions that are global that are trying to kind of say, well, if we look at mm-hmm. uh, poverty globally, what does mm-hmm. it look like? And then you're having to go down to each separate country, each separate region in each country and say, well, what does poverty mean here? Mm-hmm. And then trying to put say, a dollar amount, like uh, the UN does, right. or uh, the World Bank tries to put a dollar amount a day for how much a person must uh, make or must not make mm-hmm. to be considered poor or not. Right, yeah, because there, there are degrees of poverty as well. What we're talking about specifically will be extreme poverty, and this is measured, as you said, Matt, in absolute terms, meaning people living on less than a dollar a day. Uh, it used to be a dollar twenty-five a day. And then went up to a dollar and ninety cents a day. That's what the World Bank uses as a benchmark for these poverty statistics. And the estimates of this vary widely. But ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to say there is good news, at least at the beginning of this, which is that over time, the pop percent of the population with extreme poverty has been in decline. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the one of the big numbers we were looking at was that in 1981. According to the World Bank, uh, there were, I think, 44% of human beings in the global population were considered to be below the poverty line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then in 1990, it was uh, 37%. Then jump all the way up to 2012, and we're currently at 12.7%. Mm, but even that's declining. You know, that's uh, Yes, that's 2012 and hopefully. We're 2015, I think the most recent estimates. Let's see. Da, 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 da. 14% in 2015 according to that is the MDG report 2015 summary which is the United Nations uh Millennium Development Goals. That's their little summary from the last year that that was uh, we should probably talk about what the Millennium Development Goals are if I'm going to jump that out. Well, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So the United Nations, uh, on the at the suggestion of the then secretary at the time, who I believe was Kofi Annan, uh, decided that they would set forth these broad goals. And one of those goals was the eradication of extreme poverty. Uh, they've met some of those benchmarks there, and they're still – working on it, but what we're talking about now, when, like as we kick around these statistics, is that if this were a game, the rules of the game are changing while the game is, uh, while the game is afoot. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah. So we see that, we see that poverty doesn't necessarily mean the same, um, the same thing across the planet, uh, but we also see that Despite the the wide misunderstanding and some of the hidden agendas or alleged hidden agendas that we'll be discussing here, uh, 
despite all this stuff and despite the dwindling of extreme poverty, uh, the, the numbers are still, the numbers are still bad. Not being in extreme poverty does not mean you are in any way, shape or form necessarily doing well. Oh, yeah. It just means that you are not extremely impoverished. Uh, so, so let's talk about some of those factors. If we talk about the future of poverty, we talk also about the factors affecting poverty, which are not necessarily what you might think, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the big stuff, right? One of the factors that I hadn't really thought about and, and how much effect it would have on poverty globally is climate change and how it's going to basically, I mean, it's going to make a lot more people more poor if you think about rising sea levels, if you think about uh, weather and catastrophes that are going to be occurring at higher and higher frequencies, or at least that are projected to take place at higher frequencies. I would think, too, it would affect, like, agrarian economies. Oh, yeah, um, droughts, fires. There are all of these things that are, you know, at least according to the science, being affected by global climate change. Well, there's a, yeah, that's a good point. There's a double whammy there as well. Like I know that the ideas, the, the ideas circling around environmental catastrophes are often politicized. Mm -hmm. So let's just look at it from a geographical place. Here's why I call it a double whammy because the areas of the world that are being affected most by these things are typically in developing regions of the world, which means that there's not as much infrastructure. Uh, the states involved and the people affected don't have some of the same safeguards or safety nets. Uh, for instance, in uh, Bangladesh, there's going to be a lot of problems with flooding. Yeah, there were already a lot of problems, and we kind of saw like what there is to be done internally in Bangladesh mm. and what kind of safeguards there are. Mm. And... I mean, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, and, uh, you know, some Pacific nations are already worried about sinking under the water within our lifetimes. This could create something that I think is is very strange, and I, I never thought this would happen, something called climate refugees. Where you have to flee where you currently live mm -hmm. in order to either be at a higher elevation or be a, mm -hmm. where a place a place where food is available. Right, like to your point, Noel, if there's an agrarian economy – and people depend upon that for sustenance and livelihood, then when that land is unarable, then they have to go. They can't. There's not another option. And just uh, quickly, specifically, that study was saying that there there could be another 100 million people who, I guess, are included or added to the numbers of those who are extreme in extreme poverty mm -hmm. in the next 15 years, especially in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. Those are the places that are most at risk. Right. Yes. And with that continuing, I, I think we should also note uh, the future of inequality skyrocketing in certain parts of the world, uh, our country included on that list. Uh, but there's there's this other thing that maybe will make for a different show in the future, but we should talk about it now. Technology, you guys. Times are changing. Yeah. A couple of things that this occurred to me around technology. I was listening to an NPR piece on Marketplace a couple of days ago, and I wish I could remember a little bit more specifics about it. But um, they uh, referenced a stat that was really interesting to me that folks in lower income um, brackets are more likely to get into uh, traffic accidents that can cause them serious health problems because they don't necessarily have access to 
cars with the newest safety features. So if you're not making as much money, you might be driving an older car. You might let things lapse as far as maintenance of that car. And you also might be in a car that doesn't have any of the newer, like, you know, uh, sensors that keep you, that tell you when you're out of your lane or like, you know, backup cameras, things like that, that tend to add, you know, to the safety of vehicles. And then, so I was Googling that to try to figure out what the study was, and I actually came upon this uh, blog on the World Bank website that said a huge factor, or at least a factor that's a lot larger than you might think in uh, poverty, is automotive accidents. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it sort of ties in because a large number of people can actually lose their jobs after serious car accidents for a number of reasons, whether it's, you know, health, they can't mm-hmm. perform the functions required to do their jobs anymore. Sure. Maybe they weren't insured properly and they are now in dealing in debt, mm-hmm. dealing with all kinds of, wow. you know, medical bills. And it goes on. So it takes longer for victims of road crashes to find jobs because the, you know, the uh, criteria is going to be much more specific if they actually mm-hmm. have suffered serious injuries. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are these huge income gaps between victims of traffic crashes and non-victims. So if, for example, you are at fault in a traffic accident, and then you don't have adequate insurance. You it can totally ruin yeah, your life. You could spirals. lose your house. It can spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that is that definitely ties into the technology factor. Maybe not in the way that you were going with it, but I think it's definitely something to think about. It's interesting. I think it ties in perfectly uh, because it is something that that we don't consider, and it ties into the future of poverty because in some parts of the world, you have to have some sort of transportation. You can have a, a car, right, and a cell phone and still be extremely poor, um, especially in a country where it's a necessity to Absolutely. have those two things. And the other thing that goes on with technology here is increasing automation. Yep. Are we going to get to a point where most of the jobs that are done by humans now just don't need to – we don't need those people to work? I, You know, it is – very strange. The I was actually looking at Marshall Brain's website for this, who mm-hmm. is the uh, the founder of HowStuffWorks.com, the site for which we work. He's our Dave Thomas. Yeah, exactly, uh, Mr. Marshall Brain. Well, he he writes about this stuff a lot about automation and robotics and the future, what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that he says it, that's going to be, or the first job that's going to be driven out through automation, he says, are truck drivers. Because he thinks there are going to be automated trucks just going all over the United States and delivering everything. Unfortunately, I mean, it does seem like that's one of those things that is just a matter of time. I mean, we know that self-driving cars exist that are, Mm -hmm. you know, in beta testing that are pretty damn good. And, you know, you just um, scale that technology and, you know, put out a fleet. Well, but but the thing is (laughs) – uh, that job of being a truck driver, uh, that's actually a fairly, I mean, it's not amazingly lucrative, but it's a pretty darn good steady job that you can get. And it's also a very kind of American job, if you think about it. I mean, it's a very like kind of grassroots kind of like, you know, working man's type job. Well, yeah. So let's take these three large concepts and let's paint the worst hypothetical picture. It doesn't have to necessarily be in the States, but let's say a person, um, I'll give them a name. And if I use your name accidentally, listeners, I, I promise it's not on purpose. Uh, so let's say Sam, right? Sure. Sam. Uh, so let's say that Sam grew up on a farm. Sam grows up on a farm and becomes a truck driver. 
right? And uh, this is still when people can drive their own trucks. Uh, but Sam's not doing that well because it's not paying that well, right? And uh, he can't afford the insurance, the, the extra price you have to pay just in his private life to have a manually driven car, which is going to be more expensive, right? And that also means that he's at fault if an accident occurs. So an accident occurs and he can't, uh, he, he can't get back into the trucking industry because he has that one strike and trucks are increasingly automated. They don't need, he's in a John Henry situation. They don't need a human driver. So he goes back to his childhood farm, but it's not there because the, the, the desertification has occurred or whatever and the land has eroded. It's no longer arable. And then in this dystopian future, uh, our boy Sam ends up joining millions of other people who have no job. There's no place that will employ them. And we would live in, this sounds like such a sci-fi story, like Black Mirror, but we would live in a place where the only people with power and the only people with jobs are the people who own the machines and repair them. That's one reason the Black Mirror is so excellent is because it's incredibly prescient in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the scenarios that it, that it depicts mm-hmm. are based on... <laughs> Very real problems and very real technological situations that are reaching critical mass and that could eventually lead to some dystopian kind of situation. And the way you just described that is interesting to me because I think of this as like sort of like a one day there are truck drivers and one day there are no more truck drivers. But you're right. It would be like a more gradual process where people would gradually – it would be more and more difficult yeah. to pay for the, the insurance and to actually you know, do it the old way. Mm-hmm. Sort of like with cabs and Uber right now, for example. That's a, that's a pretty good point. And it, it is a disturbing point too. So with, but think guys, not all hope is lost for Sam and his countrymen because he lives in a place where yes, there's a crumbling infrastructure. Maybe yes, there's a corrupt government and there's not enough, uh, employment to go around. But what if a friendly international agency dedicated entirely to the elimination of extreme poverty, showed up and said, hey, we'll help you out. Here's the safety net. Here's the safety net you wanted. Just pay us back. And, oh, just a couple. We'll give you some money. It's a loan. Mm-hmm. No stress. Uh, just a couple things go along with the loan. <laughs> Standard business. Wait a minute. Are you talking about like a mafia-esque organization here? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) No. Uh, We are talking about the World Bank. And we'll get to them in a moment, right after a word from our sponsor. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing 
reinventing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Here's where it gets crazy. What if the World Bank has a different purpose? I love that. I thought we were in an episode, a video episode just then. I mean it. I'm being serious, you guys. Well, I mean, what's? can you give us a little bit more background on the World Bank? I know we've kind of touched on it throughout this episode, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, I could use a little bit of a primer. Yeah, okay. So the World Bank is an international financial institution. What they do is they give loans to developing countries with the idea that they will increase the economic growth of that country. So this would be stuff like uh, building a dam, for instance. Here's a loan to build uh, a project of great infrastructure, right? And these loans are attached often with conditions, and these conditions are meant to better the economic state of the country. So, for instance, corruption is a big problem in a lot of developing countries. I mean, it's a big problem everywhere, but it's a big problem in developing countries. Different types of corruption. Different types. That's right. And what the bank will do in order to combat that, for instance, would say, well, we're taking we, – we need to privatize some of your industries because right now they're state-run and corrupt, which is, a you know, is a unfortunately common problem. So with their official goal being the reduction of poverty – through this kind of capital investment and capital programs, uh, they are, and they are a part of the United Nations. They're a part of the World Bank Group, which is part of the United Nations Development Group. And they've had some hits. They've had some misses. Uh, they've been accused at times of pursuing a free market ideology, uh, that flies in the face of results. 
So making the error of a lot of passionate, motivated, smart people, uh, which is to say, I know what will work. And so I'll do this because I know the result, even though I haven't done it before. Or even though I've done it before in the exact same way and it had a horrible result, I'm going to do it again. Well, yeah, because it might work this time. It might work this time. Well, in, in part of this, too, to be completely fair, and these are huge problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is not, this is not something that any group could get right all the time. Well, yeah, I, you're trying on a global scale to fix economies. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, I don't know if there are many more lofty goals besides getting humans to Mars. Or are they, Matt? Are they trying to fix the economy? Well. That's the question. There are people on, let's say, the outskirts who would say, no, they're actually trying to perhaps destabilize certain areas of the world Mm -hmm. to go in and maybe gain a little more control Mm -hmm. for a global institution like the World Bank. Again, that's on the fringes. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we circle back to our hypothetical farmer situation? Yeah, yeah, Sam, let's check in on Sam. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so Sam, uh, is one of the people affected. He's been displaced. His trucker job is no more. Right. His trucker job is no war. The farm's gone. Coming back to the homestead, nothing. Nothing. Barren. Tumbleweeds, man. And so the World Bank comes in. The, the, there aren't any roads. They're all in disrepair. There could be uh, some potential to make new farmland with some irrigation projects, right? And but we need money for that. Right. We need money for that, and we need expertise. We need engineers, because a lot of the engineers have left the country for better-paying jobs elsewhere. There was a brain drain. Mm-hmm. So uh, the World Bank comes in and says, uh, says we'll, we'll give you this loan. We'll build this infrastructure project. Uh, and we will make, we will increase the GDP of the country, right? The gross domestic product. We will, uh, kickstart the economic growth. This country will go from stagnating to developing again. And one day, who knows, baby? You could be Singapore. I don't know if that's, I don't know if Pacino wow. is in the World Bank. Is that the benchmark? Is that the target? <laughs> uh, well, you know, Singapore is, a little authoritarian, but, uh, it's, it's a pretty clean country apparently. So here's where things start to go wrong. They say, well, while we're building this dam, uh, and this irrigation project that's going to bring this farmland back, uh, you, Sam, and all your neighbors have to move, get out. It's called. Well, yeah, we, we need yeah. this area to work, right? I mean, you got to yeah. get out of here. Are we going to at least pay you out though? Is that how we roll? Ideally, but what if Sam says, I don't want to go? Then Sam will be forcibly relocated. At least this happened before where, where people were forced to get out. And yeah, it, it can happen in any situation. You know, a state can, in many cases, impose, um, impose itself upon private property, mm-hmm. right? It happens in the states. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? Eminent domain. Mm, ah, uh, yeah. AKA the reason that the roads can widen into your yard, right? Sure. So here are some of the criticisms that people will say, uh, including, and these aren't all, these aren't necessarily your typical idea of a, of a anarchist or a conspiracy nut. One of the more ardent critics of the World Bank is its former chief economist, Joseph Stiglitz. 
I thought you were going to say Stalin. This nope. is former Joseph <laughs> Stalin. Uh, sorry. So this is, uh, you'll hear, you'll hear people argue on both sides. You'll hear some people, I, re- I read a very interesting thing where a guy accused the World Bank of being a socialist collectivist thing. Uh, and then other criticisms, of course, more criticism with it being a, uh, too far into like a neoliberal idea of the free market economy, right? That the invisible hand will uh, guide people to civilization. But Stiglitz said that the policies the bank implements happen too quickly and uh, it's referred to as shock therapy, but it's in the wrong, uh, it's in the wrong sequence uh, and that the bank ends up prizing GDP over Anything else. So if there's a higher GDP that doesn't necessarily when the economy is good for a country, it doesn't necessarily mean the economy is good for the people in that country. Right. And I'm not I'm not arguing for any political thing. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And so Stiglitz is saying that these two ideas should not be conflated. And what he's saying is he's saying there's a maybe a, a degree of honest error in the implementation of these policies. But then other people are saying, no, the uh, international, uh, the, the IMF and the World Bank function as these tools of control, as as a way to um, keep keep other states in subservient positions or even to practice resource extraction. And it's strange because the IMF and uh the IMF and the World Bank cracked something called the Washington Consensus, which is where they decided that the World Bank would also institute these policies of privatization, deregulation, stuff like that. Stiglitz objects to it and says that it, it hasn't, um, it hasn't worked out, that it's more of a, of people wanting a nice idea to be true. And maybe they're doing it the wrong way. Uh, he, for instance, says that the Chilean success, a lot of people who are proponents of the Washington Consensus believe that Chile is a success story economically because of World Bank IMF policy. Stiglitz, however, says that it's because they had state ownership of key industries, particularly its copper industry. So the state still owned the resources. And, of course, other people wildly disagree that that's why it happened. But that's the thing about uh, the dismal science of economics. You know, yeah. uh, people can argue back and forth. All day. Well, I can see that argument where if if Chile owned they owned the copper industry in their country, they could use money coming in from that to perhaps bolster certain parts of their economy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, help some things out internally rather than having this giant loan from the World Bank that they're having to pay off anyway. So this goes back to an earlier thing we talked about before too, which was do banks run the world? Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Matt, you're a, you, you believe in this. Too. I see the strings everywhere, man. I think there's a lot of undue influence there, uh, but it's, you know, we've seen that it's difficult outside of apparently Iceland. It's difficult to regulate banking industries. Uh, but I will also say that the World Bank, in my opinion, in my opinion, the World Bank has hardworking people in it, just like in any other industry. And they're trying, they're trying to make the world a better place. But if we look at, the future of poverty, right? And we ask ourselves, 
why there is a, a larger concentration of poverty in certain places, like sub-Saharan Africa is actually gaining more impoverished mm-hmm. people while the rest of the world is doing a little bit better and better and better. And so I'm wondering, and I'm asking you guys, and I'm asking you listening as well, do you think that the World Bank is a tool of some sort of overarching thing, right? We talked about in our video episode, we talked about uh, different authors who allege that the World Bank is um, working hand in hand with uh, intelligence agencies. Like, we'll build a dam for you. Or uh, <laughs> you could probably do a better villain voice. I'll build a dam for you. <laughs> that was great. I like that. <laughs> I was just kind of piggybacking on, you know, mm-hmm. your source material. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating point that we're verging on here, however, because the World Bank has, uh, represents, excuse me, over 180 countries. However, it's controlled by a small amount of countries. The president of the World Bank traditionally has always been American, and the president of the IMF traditionally has always been European. And the governing structure of the bank is not democratic. They have this, they have this interesting idea because the, the funding members of the bank worked out a deal where it's one dollar, one vote. Therefore, the more money you contribute to the World Bank, the more control you have over the organization. That's why China and India might represent around 40% of the world's population, but only have 5% of the votes at the World Bank. Uh, whereas six countries, the U.S., Canada, Japan, Germany, the U.K., and France, control about 45% of the decision-making power. And it's not required to reveal its internal documents. You That's can if it nice. wants, but it, it doesn't have to. Uh, those, I keep talking – I've got to apologize for this. I keep talking about the loans as though there is one kind of loan, but there are three The first is a project loan. That's where we talk about dams and power plants and and copper mines and stuff. Uh, The second is a sector adjustment loan. Uh, That's that's where they support specific policy changes in an industrial sector, for instance. And then the third, the, the one that you hear a lot about when it comes to those changes of deregulation, privatization, and so on, that is the structural adjustment program, the short-term support in exchange for major policy changes. So I don't know. I know this is kind of dry, but this ties into the future of poverty because we're looking at a world within your lifetime, listeners. We're looking at a world where it's quite possible. It's quite possible that poverty becomes eliminated. If, if this group is actually pursuing their goals, you know what I mean? And there are a lot of NGOs trying to do the same thing, non-governmental organizations. But what do you guys think? Like, do you think the critics have some, um, grain of truth in their criticism? Is, is the World Bank a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, there's a lot of fear about global organizations like this. And we, we spoke about the millennial development goals that the UN had put forward in 2000 that lasted up until 2015. Mm-hmm. And this year they got replaced by the sustainable development goals. Yep. And I'm just going to read some of these off just to give you an idea of the, let's say the goals for good that are being put forth by the United Nations. 
One, no poverty. That's the one that we were talking about. And that was number one at the top of the millennium development goals, which was, and back then it was eradicate extreme poverty and hunger. Now it's just no poverty. We're going to kill it. It's done. Uh, number two is zero hunger, mm-hmm. which is really good. Uh, they want to look at good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, all the way down to uh, climate action, um, reduced inequality throughout the world. I mean, these are some huge lofty goals. But as we could see from the Millennium Development Goals, they mm-hmm. did pretty well. At least uh, who knows if they, the UN, actually did all of the things to cause this in right. the World Bank. But still – Having a a global organization with those goals and and actively pursuing to rid mm-hmm. the world of these terrible things, I mean, I think it's pretty great. But on the same side and the other side of that coin, I mm-hmm. think it is probably not going to be very effective on a global scale. But yeah, and is are these institutions make change in the world, or are they just enforcing a neo colonial status quo? Right. That's a huge possibility. That's kind of how it feels to me in some sense. Yeah? Yeah. Why is that? The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? 
time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I guess it's just sometimes it's just a matter of sort of shifting the status quo so that it suits those in power and sort of like mm-hmm. allowing them to make it malleable to their own ends. And, you know, I mean, I hate to sound cynical, but a lot of times when I see these big organizations trying to make these big changes and they involve, you know, kind of backroom deal type scenarios, it mm-hmm. makes me wonder, you know, where um, their motivations actually lie. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then also it's, it's tough to guess because there's obfuscation of the internal documents, right? And it's also tough to guess because it's a new kind of thing. It's, it's a, it's one of the first kind of entities doing this for this long, right? Uh, but they've been accused of, uh, doing, they've been accused of, uh, pursuing ulterior motives repeatedly. And then I'm sure there are multiple sides to the story because, of course, the bank is dealing with corrupt places at the time. But the allegation that the bank itself is corrupt is, uh I'm just going to say, it's not crazy. It's not crazy that people with a lot of power would play some underhanded Well, and, I mean, and corruption begets more corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're yeah. working in a situation where you can get away with something because of, you know, the status quo of that particular situation, certain type of person might take advantage. Yeah, that's a good point, too. So I guess, though, we have to look at it in a great balance scale. On one side, we have the good that's being done, right? And then on the other side, we have a lot of sketchy stuff. So when do we make the call about when do we make the call about whether this is a good thing or not? And listeners, especially if you're listening in a foreign country, what is your country's experience? In these institutions, we want to hear from you. And uh, just to show you how much. Oh, man, I wish we had time to check all of that listener mail from the last episode. Oh, we have we got so much. I actually have a list of all of the people who wrote to us. You're I'm such a good guy. I'm just going to read them out at some point. Oh, do we have a selection? I have already? a couple. I have one in particular that I want to shout out. But thank you, everyone, for writing uh, writing to us about sleep, sleep paralysis, night terrors, shadow people, all of that stuff. All kinds of just really interesting stories about sleep and what you experience when it happens. Because sleep to us and dreaming... I think uh, the three of us in this room, it's a fascinating subject already. Just the idea that we, we deactivate for hours and hours and hours at a time every day. Still weird to us. But, uh, thank you, Jessica, Liz, Gemma, AJ, Dwayne, Andy, Michael, Sean and Sean O, Vanessa, Tom, Ellie, Jasper, George, Lacey, and finally Yaya who did something that I'm not aware anyone else has done so far on this show. It's a first. She sent us a a voice message. She was listening to our show in her car, and she pulled over to the side of the road and decided to record a message and sent it to us. thought that was pretty awesome. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and listen to uh, the story that she's telling about an experience she had back in the day. Hey guys, so I was listening to the Sleep Paralysis podcast and 
while driving, and I heard the story about the guy sleeping with the two girls and then um, having a weird little episode. And I remember a while ago kind of a similar thing happening to me. So I used to live with my family in a two-story house, and then there was like um kind of like three stairs that go down to a lower level, I guess you would say. And my brother, my older brother, he lived in the room down at the um, the lower level of the house. Now, it he kept complaining about like weird things happening to him or he would uh you know wake up and one at one point he seen like something extremely like demonic in the corner of his room and and I was just like, you know, I don't believe you at all. Like this is just crazy. I don't believe you. And the way his room was set up was uh there was like a family room downstairs and then um right connected to the family room was his bedroom. And I remember being like half asleep on the couch and he looks over at me and he's like, Hey, um are you sure you want to sleep down here? And I'm like, um yeah, why? And he's just like um, okay, well, something's gonna happen, and I'm just like, um, okay, like this, I just was not believing him at all in any of the stories he said. Anyways, I fall asleep, and I don't know how long I was asleep for, but I do remember, like, opening my eyes, and it was, it was a, it's a weird sensation to, like, be awake, but not be awake, not be able to move, or get up when you want to get up. It was just the weirdest feeling, it's never happened to me before. And I remember, um, this man, like, standing, um, behind me, so I could hear him, I could hear where he was standing, but I couldn't see him, and he was saying, you know, I know you, um, you don't know me, a lot of people, they say, like, when they see me, it's really, um, it frightens them, and they get really scared, and then he said, I've been watching you for a while, and he showed me, like, a bunch of pictures of me, like, just doing everyday things, or, like, getting out of the shower, like, really weird, and then he goes, so, do you want to look at me, and I... I said, no, I don't. Why would I want to? And I just remember, like, squeezing my eyes shut and, like, feeling the weirdest force, like, on my head, like, pushing me down and trying to, like, open my eyes. And it was, like, the scariest, um, like, I'm shaking thinking about it right now. And then I just kept trying to resist. And finally, like, I woke up and I ran upstairs. And now... I woke my mother up at the time, and I told her what had happened, and she's just, like, shocked, doesn't know how to react, and she's like, well, let's go get your brother and see how he's doing, and while we were walking downstairs, he's rushing upstairs, and he's freaking out, and, you know, we're like, what happened, and he's like, I just remember um, sleeping and just feeling completely drained, and I could hear in the next room a man uh, talking to Yaya about something I couldn't understand what she was he was saying but I heard how like deep his voice was and it freaked me out I just was drained of energy and then I right when I could wake up I woke up and ran upstairs so take it how you want it but that was the weirdest weirdest thing that has ever happened to me and I think that what really validated it for me was the fact that my brother also heard what was going on in the other room so I know something happened that night I don't know exactly what it was but I just wanted to say like I don't do drugs or like meth I really don't even drink so I <laughs> I just thought I would get it out there and it was um it's kind of a weird story so hard for me to like write it in an email on the side of the road but I thought I'd let you guys know I love your podcast. Keep it up. Thank you.
Ugh, yeah, that I don't know. It seems like a creepy experience. I wouldn't mm-hmm. uh I wouldn't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it happened any other time though, or something similar to that. She says that was pretty much it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you think the brother was messing with her? Oh, uh, I don't know. But maybe we'll uh hear from the brother. Ooh. Also also I, I love the I, I love that people are sending in audio files. If you if you would like to do that, we'd love to hear from you. So I guess I want to follow that up. I've got three, um, okay. if you guys don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one is much along the same lines of, of uh, Yaya's uh, audio message. Um, but I just kind of wanted to show that we got a pretty cool collection that looked at both, that, that sort of ex- good examples of both sides of this sleep paralysis uh, discussion. Some variety. So, yeah, a little variety. So here's one. Um, this is from Jessica, and uh, she describes her first experiences thus. First time I experienced sleep paralysis, um, I was taking a nap after class and preparing for a late shift at work. When I, quote, awoke, end quote, I couldn't move, but I could see my room as I was laying in my bed. I was on my side and could see multiple white shadows were quickly floating across my room back and forth and disappearing through the walls. I was petrified and wanted to run and scream, but could not move and had trouble breathing. At this point in my life, I had no idea what had happened and figured it was just a very, very vivid nightmare. A few weeks later, I had a similar episode. I was in the same exact position, except this time there was an attic door in the ceiling of my room. The attic door partly opened, and things were being thrown out of it, and I even saw an arm. Again, very terrifying, and I couldn't move or make a sound, and my chest felt tight. It's a recurring thing. Mm -hmm. Something on your chest pressing down, Mm -hmm. pushing the life out of you. Now that I look back at the situation, I don't know what to think of it. There were so many factors, scientific and supernatural, that affected my life. So... Now I want to, so I kind of wanted to follow up Matt's with this one, sort of that fear, terror kind of scenario. Mm. And now I've got a couple that sort of show uh, a different angle on it. Oh. Um, largely because both of these folks report very specific sleep paralysis situations like we talked about, but they are kind of at peace with them. And I thought that was really interesting. Oh, so wow. this first one comes from George. And um forgive me if I take on a bit of a voice when I read this. He has Ooh, wonderful, he has wonderful, uh, very compelling uh, prose here. Yeah. Gentlemen. Ooh, I like it. I understand you live busy lives, so I will endeavor to keep this concise. My name is George, and I assume from the episode on sleep paralysis, you may be interested in a firsthand story on the matter. I'll start by saying this has happened to me many times, and I'm a firm believer it is just a crazy and amazing interplay between our brain and body. Some of my experiences have seemed very dark or sinister in nature, but it was only in the very beginning I thought they were otherworldly. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a pretty long email, but I'm going to read his first example here. The first occurrence I can remember in sharp detail. I was 23 years old living in San Diego and attending my sonar technical school, having been in the U.S. Navy for just over a year. It was like most of the classic stories. I felt fully awake and unable to move when I came to sense a dark intent in the room with me. I could feel something crawling up from the foot of my bed and very suddenly and intensely pressing down on my chest as if trying to force all the air from my lungs and crush me. The feeling of being completely immobile, suffering what you think is impending death, but at the same time fully mentally awake and screaming in your mind is such a foreign experience in our mundane daily lives that it borders on the unexplainable. Simply said, it is terrifying on a level that makes you feel like a little child again, hoping your mother or father will rush in and chase away the darkness. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Here's where it gets interesting. To sum it all up, 
I am one of those weirdos that actually enjoys when this happens to me. George's words, not mine. (laughs) I quickly dropped the notion that I was being haunted and grew to see it more as an extension of a lucid dreaming state, living in a place and time where everything has a logical purpose and science rules the day. It's fun to have the rules of reality bent a little because your brain thinks you are awake when you are really in a sleep limbo. Love the podcast. Respectfully, George. I love that, George, because it makes me feel less bad about wanting to experience it. And I think it's interesting because he, he has, he sees both sides of the coin through experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he first has it and, and he, um, can't explain it away and is probably leaning towards more of it being like a real, like a supernatural event of some kind. And then the more he experiences it, the more it starts to fascinate him. And then the more he realizes this is, you know, an extension of his mind and he is experiencing it and it's something that you wouldn't normally experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, he's not taking that for granted. I think that's pretty awesome. It's beautifully rational. I, think I so like too. George. So for my second one, um, this person asked to remain anonymous. So I'm just going to read one of his or her experiences. I had my first shadow person experience when I was about 15 at a summer camp. I was sleeping in the top bunk in a room with eight other people, and suddenly I opened my eyes and saw a black shadow floating over me. I was startled, but unlike the panicked reaction of many others, my next feeling was a complete certainty that this entity was watching over me like a mother and making sure I was okay. A second later, it dissolved away, and I went back to sleep. Another night at camp, I woke up very suddenly and saw a similar shadowy figure in the opposite corner of the room. I still get these once in a while, and it's strange, but I'm not afraid at all. Nice. Don't be afraid. I don't think so either. I mean, you know, you can look at it so many different ways. You can, I like this kind of guardian angel version of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even if it's associated with kind of a negative uh, experience, I think it's interesting to be able to uh, see both sides of something like that. That's why I liked George and this anonymous person's letters. Wow. You know, I when we did this episode, I didn't know that it would strike a chord with uh, so many folks out there listening. Some and, of the most YouTube yeah. comments we've ever gotten. Really? Yeah. yeah. Of, of people just saying, hey, yes, I've experienced this. I remember when this happened to me for the first time. Mm-hmm. And as far as the podcast goes, the largest number of letters that I've seen generated from a single episode. And unfortunately, now is the time. Matt, Noel, and I have to uh, mosey on out of here. Well, I don't know. Are we going to mosey? Are we going to sneak? No, I'm going to drive home as fast as I can. There is poop in my baby's diaper, and I can smell it from here. Ew. I need to change that diaper, you guys. That's so weird, man. What? I, I mean, I get it, but it's just, uh, you know. You guys don't have that? You need to get some sleep, buddy. I've been changing. I've been changing my own diapers for years. Oh, <laughs> uh, no! But on a on a serious note, thank you so much to everybody who listened. Thank you even more to everybody who wrote in. If you would like to send an audio file of a story, then please do. Uh, we we'd love to check it out. All the stuff we said earlier applies. And the most important part of the show: Do you have a topic idea for us? Is there something that you think is stuff they don't want you to know? This this is your show as much as it is ours, and all of our best suggestions come from you. So go ahead and find us on the Internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Every like, every follow gets us a little bit further away from being fired. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We are conspiracy stuff on most of those places. You can find us at StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. And if you want to send us an email, especially with an attachment of an audio file, you can send that to... Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. 
this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.